Hello, and welcome back to Social Justice Tours podcast. Today we have on Rebecca Mansky, who leads our People's History of Wall Street tour and People's History of Immigration tour. Uh, and today we'll be talking with her a bit about the history of the ideas of xenophobia and disease and uh, some other subjects that she talks about on her tours as well. So this is currently a pandemic. We're doing this recording remotely so before anything else, I, I'd love to hear just how you're dealing with this present moment, your thoughts on this time. Yeah, I mean, I think as somebody who's really focused on immigration history, I'm very, very conscious of that aspect of this, the tendency to kind of want to locate the disease in the bodies of particular individuals that have come in from outside. And I'm very conscious of people's fear of each other and this kind of desire to stay away from each other is something that clearly we need to obey to an extent. But I've just been wondering if we could be a little bit more, have a little bit more of a complex view of it and ask ourselves, where do our fears lie around all this and how deep are they going? And are we subconsciously associating certain groups with the disease? So that's that's kind of the first set of thoughts that comes to mind. Many of us, I think, are starting to become more and more aware of the consequences of blaming certain groups of people for bringing disease into our communities. Um, and so that's what's really been coming up for me is I'm mostly concerned about particular populations being scapegoated. We have seen this pretty explicitly on both the president calling this the China virus and the New York Times, the first image of the coronavirus on the front page was in Flushing, even though the first case was in Midtown, I believe. So, mm -hmm. so we know that this is actively happening in the present. So you are a historian. I think history is really instructive in this moment to help us illuminate the present using the lessons of the past. I was hoping you could walk us through some of the histories here in New York City of the linkages between disease and uh, xenophobia. The consciousness around disease as linked with certain populations on a massive scale, it all really begins with the first huge waves of immigrants coming over from Ireland. In the 1830s, massive waves of Irish starting to come over, fleeing colonization of their country by the English, right? As the Irish are arriving, they're coming into this area that has gotten increasingly crowded and polluted, and a cholera epidemic ensues. Seems like a pretty obvious link from the perspective of the descendants of the founders of this colony, right? But the founders, as they like to think of themselves, are thinking, the Irish are coming and they're bringing cholera. Their bodies are diseased. Look at them coming off those boats. So tired and weary and probably, yes, quite sick coming off of those boats because they just escaped a famine. And so they crowd into this neighborhood. The, the founders flee up the island, quote unquote founders, right? Because <laughs> we could think mm. of them as immigrants too, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but these immigrants who call themselves founders, who call themselves the natives, right? The natives to this place are not the Native Americans. It's them. They flee up the island to get away from the immigrants who are bringing in disease. And so... One of the first moments in which we're starting to think about what it is to be American, what it is to be native to this place, is all about an encounter with a new wave of immigrants coinciding with overcrowding, lack of sanitation, and a sudden epidemic. I do want to footnote something that I think is really fascinating that you said of the founders viewing themselves as founders as opposed to immigrants, which they actually were. And they themselves, of course brought over immense diseases that had really dire consequences on the Lenape here. So I was hoping you could backtrack uh -huh. a little bit and talk about that form of immigration and disease and, and the consequences uh -huh. there. 
Yeah, I mean, we have to, it gets really complicated when we think about who was here first in general Mm -hmm. and who came later and who the invaders are, who the outsiders are. And we have to, it's, it's a tricky question because, of course, there's so much hypocrisy in that thinking. If you think of outsiders as immigrants from beyond this land who come in, because there's really no way that we could see any of ourselves as Americans as really that different if we just go back a, a couple hundred years. And the Lenape are actually known amongst what you know, you call the Delaware or the Algonquin as the original people. Lenape means original people. So I, we don't know what why they were called the original people we think that it's because they might have been some of the oldest inhabitants of this area in human memory so from the perspective of the lenape obviously the these newcomers they're not just immigrants actually they were invaders right they were conquerors and they came in with their claims to land and resources and their new ideas about permanent expropriation of land and resources and they came in with this decimating quality in multiple ways including suddenly when they appeared people just died from contact with them they didn't even have to take up arms against the Lenape to kill them it used to be depicted as kind of an accident but the truth is that over time we've seen more and more evidence that the people who came here as conquerors were conscious of the effect Mm. that they were having. And in some cases, you could see it as a kind of orchestrated neglect. And Mm. in some cases, there was more of a master plan and an actual intent Mm. to annihilate Native American populations. We know through, for example, spreading around blankets that are infected with smallpox. But Mm. similarly, in the case of the Irish population, which was coming here playing famine, it was, you know, it was depicted as just kind of a natural event, right? The famine was just a natural natural phenomenon. And in fact, we know that it was not a natural phenomenon. It was an orchestrated famine. Food was being exported away from their indigenous land to other countries as they were starving. And English merchants were profiting Mm. from the export of those foods. So disease or famine, or when you think about the effects of hurricanes and who suffers, none of that is an accident. The the main thing that is not an, an accident is who profits and who dies. That is all kind of set up, sometimes in advance by some people, and in other cases, you just see people primed and prepared to profit from the situation. Mm. So, you know, in the case of the Irish, all these people are fleeing, and lo and behold, their properties are left for English people to come and take them. Similarly, suddenly, all of these Native Americans just happen to die, and there's more space for European colonizers to take up. Now, going back to the cholera epidemic of the 1830s with the Irish, I think one one really dire consequence of penning the coronavirus as the China virus is hate crimes going up and things like this. So can you talk about maybe some of the things that Irish immigrants had to face in result of mm-hmm. disease being pegged to them? Yeah, I mean, obviously, the, the Irish are coming to a country that at that point had been totally dominated by the people from England. And so there was a very direct history there and pre-existing racism that went really deep. Uh, You couldn't say that the Irish and the English looked very different from each other. And yet somehow there were all of these racist caricatures that were developed um, in order to explain a difference between two populations that, of course, they were very different culturally and nationally and linguistically but weren't that different in appearance. The Irish were said to come from a particular nation that basically looked pro-Batman. 
And so they created this image, this internal image that people had of the Irish and of big differences between themselves and the Irish that had to do with their constitution, their very constitution, their bloodlines, their, Mm. you know, how moral they were. In particular, one of the main issues that came up was when the Irish arrived, they just arrived at the piers down on South Street pretty randomly without any organized process, we essentially had, from a certain standpoint, open borders. We, we can't really say we had open borders because there was definitely policing of the waterfront and some people were kept out in particular in a lot of cases black people were policed because they were seen as potential runaway slaves. And so the Irish are just getting off these boats and walking up the island and establishing themselves. But when they get off the boat, of course, they don't know where they're going. They don't have a job. They don't have a home. They don't. They have no idea what's about to happen. And these waves of people would come up to meet them to show them the way. And they were kind of swindlers, and they were working for political bosses. And their job was basically to go get these immigrants right off the boat, hungry and tired, and manipulate them into supporting a political boss. So mm. somebody would show up and offer you a meal and then they would walk you to a home and then walk you to a job and then at a certain point they might offer you a better job and say in exchange for campaigning for my candidate you will get a really nice position like maybe you could become a police officer which is really not a great job actually you could find your way into a position of power if you were loyal enough to the local political boss and so what happened was votes are bought the democratic process is severely undermined on the one hand irish people build power and this is very threatening to the episcopalian establishment on the other hand it's also really concerning because there is no democratic system to speak of at this point the democratic system falls apart and there's this idea that it's the new immigrant population that's to blame they fundamentally are antithetical in their way of living to the to democratic systems so that's the way that they kind of create this distinction between themselves and the irish even as the irish rise into power into significant political power by the time the irish are in power in this certain way it's too, you know, it's too late to shut them out. They're now powerful enough that they're not going to certainly regulate themselves. They're not going to regulate Irish immigration. But what happens is you still have an incredible amount of poverty in Irish communities. And as new waves of immigrants come in, unfortunately, there's a lot of competition for work between the Irish immigrant population and newcomers. And on the West Coast, as the railroads are being constructed, the real issue is around competition with Chinese workers in terms of getting jobs building the railroads. Mm. Also, the Chinese are tend to be brought in as strike breakers. So if when the Irish start to organize themselves into unions and they form the first predominantly Irish workers, also German workers, organize the Knights of Labor, the Knights of Labor is one of the main forces in the passage of the Chinese Exclusion Act mm. in 1882. So you see how things kind of how easily this kind of starts to unfold and get passed on to the next wave of immigrants. Mm. Wow. A really interesting history and lots there. But I do actually want to keep moving forward in time mm-hmm. as Castle Clinton turns into Ellis Island and new waves of immigrants are made to go through these really intense health routines prior to entering. I was hoping you could talk a bit about just the evolution of immigration in New York and, and health. Yeah, so basically... 
What happens is that they decide that we need to start to regulate immigration. Now that all of these Irish people have come, the Irish are not going to be stopped. However, they want to make sure that people with diseases don't get into this country. They form Castle Clinton, or they turn Castle Clinton into Castle Garden, which is supposed to be the first regulated immigration depot in this country. So we didn't have any immigration laws on place really. We had naturalization laws, but no real immigration laws. We have no real regulations in place. They decide to get together a space in which immigrants will be inspected directly in Castle Garden for diseases. They had this whole health inspection process that you went through. And initially what would happen is they would intercept you starting in the 1850s at in the Narrows, right in the middle of the East River between Brooklyn and Staten Island. Immigrant inspectors would actually get on the boat and make sure no one on the boat had any major diseases. However, apparently they're not effect, you know, effective enough and things are still pretty disorganized. In some ways, Castle Garden is depicted as this really impressive project. In some ways, they don't really get a handle on the problems that they're trying to get a handle on. And so the after the passage of the Chinese Exclusion Act in 1882, you start to see these big waves of Eastern European immigrants and Italian immigrants. Mostly you're talking about like Jews and Italians, but you're talking about Mediterraneans and you're talking about people from all over the Balkans as well coming in. And the concern is that they not only might be bringing diseases, but they might be bringing ideologies with them. (laughs) Mm. Specifically communist, socialist, anarchist ideologies. And back then they actually really thought that these were, these kinds of ideas were somehow associated with madness, with insanity, again, with immorality and depravity, violent tendencies. And so there was this idea that the Italian population had a tendency towards outbursts and and that they Mm. had a tendency towards anarchism. These things were somehow linked. Mm. And so there started to be this desire as we see the rise of what we now know of as the eugenics movement, there started to be this desire to stop these immigrants before they even get to shore. We're talking about an island offshore, Ellis Island, that gets repurposed and transformed into a stopping point for all immigrants before they hit this country's shores. Mm. So Ellis Island is an attempt to more tightly regulate the health inspection process. The laws are not yet in place to restrict immigration from certain parts of the world, but you could see that as the beginning Clearly, the stage is set for the passage of a lot more immigration laws that are exclusionary and that are exclusionary based in a way that's barring people based on their national origin. So Ellis Island is going to be a space that enables that to have, you know, enables the country to get ready to bar people from certain places. As you would get off the boat, the first thing you would see at Ellis Island, there was a huge staircase that you would go up. I think it had about 50 stairs and on each stair was a doctor. Mm-hmm. And on each stair, a different doctor is test- is checking you out for a different disease. So they're asking you to kind of touch your toes, to check your spine for scoliosis. So they're, they're going to check your eyes to make sure you don't have trachoma. They'll flip your eyelid upside down and look for white spots. And then they'll, they'll test the next person for trachoma too, and they won't sanitize the instrument. So in other words, they're probably in a lot of cases passing diseases to people in these in the process because they didn't understand the nature of disease yet. There was still this kind of sense that diseases come through your bloodlines. You're born into certain populations that have propensities for certain diseases. And so they really probably spread some diseases <laughs> to the immigrants who are mm-hmm. arriving. 
And then when they would go to their new neighborhood, surrounded by the people from their country and their little enclave and certain diseases are spreading, it's not because they necessarily brought them with them. But it is true that certain neighborhoods end up being hit harder because the, the living conditions in those neighborhoods are not as good. They don't have access to clean water. They don't have sanitation on the streets, etc. Wow. So I want to now start thinking about links to the present. I think some are really clear and some I'd, I'd love to draw out. The first being, you talked a bit ago when you're talking about the Irish immigration uh, in the 1830s, talked about how disease was then almost weaponized for profit, right? The, the way that homes became raided and became English property and, and those uh-huh. who profited off of these epidemics. And there's long histories of not only from epidemics, but Naomi Klein calls disaster capitalism, uh-huh. right? So I'm wondering what your thoughts on that in the present moment are, the, the ways that uh, we might see this happening or maybe already are this coronavirus pandemic. This is a global scenario. It's different from any other it's much less localized. In the past, what would happen is that you'd see certain neighborhoods get really just experience extreme neglect for long Mm. periods of time. And then you'd see people in those neighborhoods be the hardest hit by disease, of course. Sometimes Mm. the diseases would start there, but you, you could say that in a lot of cases, the reason that those neighborhoods were hard hit is because people were already really overworked. Their immune systems were really worn down. And it was much less likely that they'd get good medical care. And so it was really easy to kind of pin the disease on certain hot spots. People move out. So then you see property values going down. Mm. And the neighborhood will kind of shift in a more and more negative direction. So that happened in the neighborhood of Five Points, you know, the Irish neighborhood that I was talking about earlier that was made famous by the Martin Scorsese movie, Gangs of New York, they argued, Jacob Rees, who was a progressive reformer, right? He was famous for taking photographs of um, life in the tenements and, and exposing how bad things had gotten. He's seen as a progressive, and he was a progressive, but he also argued for demolishing neighborhoods. He also was one of the people that argued that we needed to just tear these neighborhoods down and start all over. And so that's actually what happened in the neighborhood of Five Points. They just tore down the center Mm. of this very poor neighborhood and they put in a park. Mm -hmm. And that was a nice thing to do from a certain standpoint to have a park. It was the most crowded place on earth at the time. But is that what the people in the neighborhood wanted? Did Did anybody ask them if they wanted their homes demolished? So this was kind of like a precursor to the urban renewal movement of the 1950s and 60s. All of that In the past is what would have definitely happened in a neighborhood stricken by an epidemic. That could happen here too, but we don't really know Mm. how that would look because, again, it's a global epidemic. So Mm. that I wonder if, you know, will New York see people fleeing? Will the global elites who've been buying up the entire city, will they continue to do that? And then will they continue to build these crazy high-rises that are essentially hotels for the international elite who are jet-setting around the world. I don't know. Will the, will the international elite want to come here like they did before? That Those are the first thoughts that come to mind. I think there's a million other ways that people are just sitting. Mm. I mean, we, we know that when it comes to the pharmaceutical industry that there's a ton of people who've 
profited a huge amount just by getting tips in advance of this really getting out of control and Mm. selling their stocks and investing their stocks in companies that they know will be producing high demand products like ventilators and masks, right? Mm. So we know there's a bunch of people who are profiting in that way. We'll find out later, I'm sure, that there were people who were in stockpiling a lot of the equipment that we needed in the first days of this and didn't have. Well, and there's also these examples of, uh, I forget which senator it was, but selling off all his stocks to make lots of money. Uh-huh. So yeah, right. there are definitely all, all these individual examples. But I think the yeah. last thing that I want to ask about is, it's been really interesting hearing you simultaneously, chronologically talk about the history of immigration, but in, in doing so, talk about the history of racism and racist ideas, right. how much it parallels the same rhetoric we're hearing today. Uh-huh. So uh, final question is is what you think people should be really looking out for and and you know what trends and uh what things might surface and are already surfacing yeah i mean i think my first instinct is to say the tendency to kind of default to shaming people who don't engage in certain the right practices in order to protect themselves and others from disease can be dangerous It's understandable that we all feel that it's our civic responsibility to take certain measures to protect ourselves because it's about protecting others as well. But the thing is, then it's often the case that people who get paid less tend to work closer to the ground, closer to earth, closer to other people and to have more contact with contaminants. And people who are wealthier kind of live further away from the ground Mm. and are able to protect themselves a little bit from, you know, well, you know, a professor is paid much more than a teacher, a professor in the ivory tower away from his students, you know, away from the, the people down below is compensated and valued more than a teacher who's maybe in the situation we're talking about now, like a few weeks ago was just in the thick of it with tons of students who could have been sick and dealing with a lot of students with a lot of very serious problems coming to school hungry, et cetera, et cetera. But just today woke up to my boyfriend was listening to Cuomo talk and Mm -hmm. there was this declaration made against people playing basketball a sport that requires a lot of hand to face contact (laughs) is not smart to engage in right now Mm. um so I'm the reason I'm making this connection is that you could see golf as the you know it's this kind of sport that you can play in which you have distance from your the other participants and you ride around in golf carts and you you don't even touch the ball right most of the time you have gloves on you don't sweat as much Mm. and Cuomo was joking around about how well you know we got to be able to play golf you know after Mm. last week there was this real condemnation of people playing basketball and I think that I guess what I'm getting at is that this is very hard to detect for some people racism Mm -hmm. (laughs) right Mm -hmm. who's playing basketball who's who is it that's going to be in the courts we know everybody knows what that means basketball means black kids it means latino kids it means inner city quote-unquote kids so there's this kind of condemnation of that population of people for not being responsible but the truth is that if you live in certain parts of the world or in certain communities you are much more likely to be closer to 
things that could get you sick and you're going to be further away from the resources you need to get better. And there are parts of the world right now, pretty much most of India, unless you're really, really rich there. And a lot of parts of parts of the African continent, they do not have the luxury of social distancing. We know that there's no way that they're going to be able to engage in what we've engaged in for the last 28 days, sitting inside and, tr- and dealing with our anxieties and trying to figure out how to live in the world <laughs> mm. going forward. Right. They're not going through that process. They're going through something very different. And they are they're going to the market surrounded by other people because otherwise they'll starve to death, you know? So I guess Mm. I'm just saying that while we have to take basic measures and we have to encourage each other to take basic measures, we also just, we have to be careful to take a look at and to watch our own tendency to judge those who are in close contact with each other and who live their lives that way in general. Wow. Certainly, I mean, I think there's been a lot of commentary on how it is truly a luxury to be able to sit inside. Right. Uh, and I think there's a lot there. And I think there's also a lot a lot there about the racialization between basketball and golf and mm-hmm. the long history. I mean, from the way that different activities become weaponized as racist, whether it's um, standing on the street corner becomes loitering mm-hmm. or playing dice is illegal, right. whereas stock market is uh, encouraged, right? And even though right, it's essentially right, the same right. activity. So I think there's definitely a lot there. And, and I think while there is also the understanding that, yes, basketball has <laughs> has the challenge of being potentially a, a disease passer on, there's just, I think, the, the wider idea of cautioning and making sure to be very uh, vigilant in thinking about how certain communities are treated and talked about as diseased or not, which is, I think, essentially mm-hmm. what you've been talking about the entire right. time. So... I think that was a really good ending place. Uh, thank you so much for chatting, and I hope to have yeah. you on again. Yeah, well, we'll definitely be talking soon. <laughs> All right. Bye. All right. Bye.